Hi, Govanen. Welcome to the Tolkien Lore Channel. I'm the Tolkien Geek. And one of the things that Tolkien uh, is pretty well known for saying among his fans is that he cordially, cordially disliked allegory in all of its forms. Nevertheless, people have constantly been looking for allegorical symbols in Lord of the Rings and his other works since almost since they came out. And in this video, I want to talk about a few of those, the major ones. Uh, there's a whole bunch of uh, out there that are just too outlandish to even really bother with. But there are some that are common enough and reasonable enough that I think are worth addressing just to show why, even though on the surface they might seem like good allegories, they're really not. So I'm going to go over four major ones. Let's get started. First major allegory that people tend to come up with is the idea that Lord of the Rings is a broad representation of World War II. And along with this kind of comes the idea that the ring is either, you know, the nuclear bomb or something of that nature. And Sauron would be Hitler or, you know, that sort of thing. Um, all that's, and in some ways it's multiple different allegories, but it all kind of encompasses within the idea of World War II. So obviously there's, this is in one sense the weakest because it's, it's much, much harder to allegorize something as broad in scope as a huge war. But, you know, there's, there's some elements that tend to give some credence to it. For one thing, he wrote it after World War, well, he published it after World War II. He started it actually before World War II. So there's, you know, I mean, there's, there's some question as to how much of the story was complete in his mind by the time he started writing it. But, the, you know, he's already come out in his letters and, and said, you know, this is not World War II. If it was World War II, then the way it would have ended would have been that the ring, the A-bomb, would have been used to defeat Sauron, a.k.a. Hitler, and therefore the story would have had a very different ending because basically his point was, and he even actually writes in one of his letters that, the real-life version of what ended up happening, happening in World War II was, in a lot of ways, like the, the, the good peoples of Middle-earth taking the One Ring instead of trying to destroy it, by which he meant, of course, they're taking on too much power in an attempt to destroy evil. Whether he meant exactly the bomb, or maybe he just meant, you know, kind of the methods that were used, you know, I mean, a lot of things changed between when Tolkien was born and then when World War II happened in terms of how warfare was conducted. So, I mean, he could have meant different things, but the main point is, you know, you can't really fit all this together. For one thing, I mean, it's already within a world that's that's very complete. The Silmarillion had already been written, The Hobbit had already been written, uh, and in The Silmarillion, of course, you get a huge war. The, the Silmarillion is basically a story about a huge war of the elves against Morgoth. So, I mean, there's there's already a lot of precedent for war, and it's not obviously based on World War II. If anything, you could say that the Silmarillion has little basis in World War I, but to say that the Lord of the Rings, then, is a World War II allegory, that's pushing it. For one thing, you've only really got two villains, and you've got Sauron and Saruman. But, you know, in the, in the actual World War, World War II, you had Hitler, Mussolini, and the Japanese Emperor. So, I mean, you had three versus two, so that doesn't really line up. The Ring of Power, of course, doesn't really act like an atomic bomb in any meaningful sense. There's just a lot of different things that don't really line up, and of course Tolkien explicitly said, no, of course it's not a World War II allegory. Uh, so anyway, that's kind of the more common one. It's, it's one of the less plausible ones, just because 
You know, I mean, really, if you think about it, the only reason it has any plausibility at all is because there's a war in The Lord of the Rings, and it was written roughly at the same time as a war in the world. But by that logic, almost any book written in the last hundred years that has a war in it as, as fiction is possibly an allegory of some war that took place in, in the 20th century because there's been almost nonstop war, small or large, for the last hundred years. So, you know, I mean, that's just really stretching credulity. So, anyway, that's the World War II theory. Now let's move on to something slightly more interesting. The other three allegories that I want to talk about are a lot more religiously based and specifically Christian. And, of course, this makes sense because Tolkien himself was a devout Catholic. Three of One of the three is kind of a generic Christian type of allegory, and the other two, which I'll get to later, are more specifically Catholic. And it's kind of easy to see where people might get the idea that there's some Christian allegory in the story, because, for one thing, Tolkien actually says in one of his letters that uh, subconsciously, when he wrote it originally, it was Christian in its themes and whatnot, and then as he revised it, it was a little more conscious that it was a very Christian work. Now, that doesn't mean for Tolkien, of course, that he was literally writing Christianity into the book. I mean, he also said in several of his letters that the the religion, to the extent that there was one in Middle-earth, was very much more primitive than Christian. This is, all, after all, a prehistory. This, is, this would be even before Judaism in terms of you know, if it happened historically in our world. Uh, so anyway, the first one I want to talk about on these lines is the idea that, and here, pick your character, there's Aragorn, there's Frodo, there's Gandalf, and there's probably one or two others I'm forgetting uh, represent Jesus. I mean, different people pick different characters to, to fit this role, but the problem is they all kind of do fit, and you can't really make any one of them fit perfectly, and so it doesn't make sense. Gandalf, of course, usually gets picked because he comes back to life. You know, he gets killed by the Balrog and then gets resurrected and brought back. Well, yeah, but Gandalf is explicitly said in other places to be an angelic being. He's actually given a name, Olorin, that uh, was his name as a spirit in Valinor before he came to Middle-earth. So, I mean, we can't really... He didn't die in the real sense that humans die. He just His body was destroyed, his spirit went back to Valinor, and he was brought back to Middle-earth to finish his job. So he's he's not Jesus. I mean, that's, that's obvious. Frodo, of course, gets picked because he's the one bearing the ring, which is, you know, his cross to bear. I mean, in, in, a, in the theory of the allegory, an almost literal cross to bear. But, of course, the ring is evil. The cross is not, per se, evil evil in the way that the ring is, and the ring has power. The cross doesn't really have power. I mean, there's a lot of mismatches if you really try to break that allegory down. So, also the fact that Frodo is not, in any sense, kind of the leader. He's not a, um, he's not the wisest character. He's not the strongest character. He's not, you know, he's not deliberately going out there to die for anybody either. I mean, in some vague sense, he kind of gives up his life in Middle-earth because he eventually leaves Middle-earth for uh, to go into the undying lands of the West, but he doesn't die. I mean, he doesn't literally sacrifice himself for anybody, so, I mean, that really doesn't work. And then the Aragorn is the last one that really kind of has any really serious contention for the role, I think, you could argue maybe a couple other people, but Aragorn is often sometimes referred to as the Christ figure because he's the king. He's uh, He ends up conquering 
you know, the evil forces and becomes king and rules in a very, you know, millennial kingdom-like way in the sense that his kingdom is peaceful, it does a lot of good and whatnot. And so you could kind of tie Aragorn's rule to the rule that is predicted of Christ whenever he returns the second time, which I'm not even sure Tolkien would buy into that as a Catholic, that that's how it would even happen. But the idea is, you know, Aragorn is the king allegory to Christ, which, and that's kind of the point here, is they all have their own allegory to Christ. They're all Christ-like, but none of them is Christ. And that's that's really the point here, is none of them is an allegory. They all have their their upsides and their, you know, the ways that in which they are similar to you know, Jesus of Nazareth, but none of them are exactly like him. And that's really the point in Tolkien's story is any good man is going to be like Jesus for a Catholic, by definition, because that's what a Christian is, a Christ-like person. So for Tolkien, it's just, if you're a good person, you're going to be like Christ in some way. That doesn't mean you are one. So that's that's where the, the Jesus allegory goes. I don't think there's really any way to make a lot of sense of that allegory when you really start looking into it. Now let's get slightly more specifically Catholic and look at a couple more. I can actually kind of talk about these together because they're very connected in the story. They involve Galadriel and the Limbus bread provided to the fellowship in Lothlorien. Uh, the Limbus bread is often said to be an allegory for the Eucharist because Tolkien, of course, is Catholic. He believes in the transubstantiation of the bread and wine into the body and blood of Jesus. And there's a lot of things about the Limbus bread that is said to be very, you know, almost mystical in, it, in its properties. It, it provides you with sustenance, and it even says in the, in the novel that the more you rely on just the Limbus bread, the more it sustains you by itself. So a lot of people have said that that's kind of like the mystical properties of the Eucharist in terms of how it spiritually sustains Christians, or Catholics specifically, uh, in their spiritual life. And, you know, again, there's some plausibility to that. The other half of that is that Galadriel is a an allegory for the, the Virgin Mary. And that one, I think, has a little less plausibility to it. There's, you know, elements in that are kind of similar, but um, not a lot. And, I mean, it's kind of a stretch on that end. As far as the Eucharist slash Limbus analogy goes, um, one of the problems with that is, again, this is talking about a prehistory well before when Jesus would have walked the earth, before Judaism would have been a thing on the earth. Uh, and here we are, the Limbus bread actually goes back all the way to the Silmarillion. So, I mean, even if you thought that the Lord of the Rings took place kind of, sort of, after Judaism got started in, a, in terms of prehistory, which it doesn't, it, you still have the problem of this limbus bread goes back way before that so you can't really say it's the same thing plus you know it, it basically is explicitly said that it's it's just the elves know how to make this stuff because they're elves I mean, it's elves know how to do a lot of things that to humans seem magical they're not magical in tolkien's mind in the sense that we usually use the term but the elves tolkien would use the term it's an art you know it's it's a something that is very, very skill-based and very, very heavy in terms of using the properties of the world in terms of achieving a result, but it's not magic. You're not, you know, using some outside force to control nature so much. So 
he would say that the elves are just really good at doing this one particular thing. And that's, you know, and there's also the Miruvor, and you're probably less familiar with that, especially if you haven't read the book. The Miruvor is a, uh, a liquid, it's a drink that Elrond gives to Gandalf, and he shares it with the Fellowship on the mountain at Karatheras while they're trying to cross in the snowstorm. And you might also throw that in there as like the wine half of the Eucharist. But again, it's one of those things. It's just the elves are really good at doing this sort of thing. So I don't really think the Eucharist idea really fits. I mean, there's, again, you could say that it's similar in some ways, and there may be some conscious idea in the back of Tolkien's head that, you know, he's putting a symbolic reference to it without actually it being an allegory for it, but it's not, strictly speaking, an allegory. Now, as far as Galadriel, really the strongest point in favor of this analogy, I think, is the idea that um, Galadriel at the end in, in Lord of the Rings, and by, I say the end because Galadriel goes all the way back to the first age in the Silmarillion. She's been around forever, almost literally forever in terms of elves. Um, but in the Lord of the Rings, she's essentially reaching a point of repentance and submission to the will of the Valar, which can be kind of, some people have kind of interpreted as being uh, her moment of when Mary tells the angel that comes to announce Jesus's birth, Mary says, let it be done to me as the Lord commands or whatever. And the idea being that Galadriel is finally doing the same thing and kind of repentance for an earlier rebellion, which she was partially engaged, you know, at fault for in, in the Silmarillion. And the reason that's important is because Mary's name is actually derived from the ancient Hebrew Miriam, which means rebellion. So, I mean, in, in the, biblical sense that that comes in she has a name that means rebellion but she actually submits whereas galadriel actually engaged in a rebellion and then later repents and submits that's really the strongest thing you can say but of course if galadriel is married then who is jesus i mean you can't really make that fit either again the ideas are important and present. You know, the idea of a person who formerly rebelled against the Valar, the will of, you know, the, the gods of Middle-earth, and then later repents and then gets to go back to Valinor as a result. That's an important idea in Christian thinking, but that doesn't mean that she represents every person that ever did that or that she represents Mary. So again, you know, there's some ideas that have some cross-pollination, of course, because as a Catholic Tolkien is going to have that kind of cross-pollination in his works, but that doesn't mean that any given individual, and in this case Galadriel, is necessarily the same, is literally a one-to-one -one correspondence to any particular person in the Bible. So anyway, that's kind of what I wanted to go over in this video. Hope you liked it. Before wrapping up, I probably should mention, of course, that a lot of people confuse allegory with analogy and that sort of thing. An allegory, strictly speaking, is a literal one-to-one -one correspondence. And again, that's why I bring up the idea, the cross-pollination of ideas does actually happen to a large extent, but that doesn't mean that there's allegory. Because in an allegory, a really good example of an allegory would be um, the Pilgrim's Progress. I mean, you've got characters literally named after vices and virtues, and that's who they represent. Uh, Tolkien's world has symbolism, 
but symbolism is not the same as allegory. And so you can say that, you know, World War II has elements that are symbolized in Lord of the Rings because war is kind of a thing that just, anytime you have a war, it's going to be similar to another war in some respects. So, I mean, symbolically, you know, it's a war. But it doesn't even really strongly correlate to World War II, though, in Lord of the Rings. So, I mean, I'm not even sure that really works. The other three allegories, alleged allegories, are a little more true in terms of symbolism because they do have important ideas that correlate, but they're not allegory. And I just want to make that point because, you know, you know, Tolkien was a very literary person. He would know the difference between symbolism and allegory. He's comfortable with the one, not the other. So I just wanted to bring that up in case there was any confusion. So I hope you enjoyed the video. hope you uh, kind of learned a little bit about the idea of the alleged allegories in the Lord of the Rings. Hope I kind of explained why they're not really allegories. Uh, hope this makes sense. Uh, if you've got any questions, you can pop them in the comments below. I'll link as well to the uh, Tolkien's letters in the comments below so you can pick up a copy of that if you want to read more about things that Tolkien himself said about his own writings. Uh, Till next time, I'm the Tolkien Geek signing out for the Tolkien Lore Channel. Namariye.